Greetings to all collective listeners. On this episode of the Samson Strength Coach Collective, we have my very good friend, Scott Ramsey. I first met Scott when I worked at Texas Tech University. I worked with women's basketball there. He was assigned to assist me with women's basketball. Scott is a fantastic programmer, fantastic strength coach, but even better person. I think y'all really enjoy what he has to say and his different viewpoints on strength and conditioning. Enjoy. What's going on, collective listeners? On today's episode, we have another very good friend of mine, Scott Ramsey from Texas Tech University, where he's currently serving as an assistant strength and conditioning coach. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the episode. I appreciate you. You don't have to be too nice. You know, we're more acquaintances than friends, but you know, I get it. I get it. <laughs> it's, it's rather hurtful, I would say. Or maybe yeah. I just don't have an understanding of our relationship. You know, who knows? But <laughs> no, well, no, Scott, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, just give us a uh, rundown of your career in strength and conditioning so far, and then uh, we'll go from there. All right. So first and foremost, and this kind of explains a little bit about how I uh, look at my job. Um, I'm a lifelong Red Raider. Um, went to school here, um, undergrad, grad school, got my first internship in strength and conditioning here, um, got promoted here, got let go here because of COVID, got rehired here because of COVID ending. And then, you know, now we're here. Um, Originally kind of wanted to go into orthopedic surgery. Um, And then about sophomore, junior year of undergrad, I realized I really don't like chemistry. Um, And you kind of have to be good at chemistry to do uh, med school. So um, that changed plans really, really quickly. Um, Still kept on the biology train. And then just, you know, because of football and everything, I've always found solace in lifting. And so just as I got into my later years in undergrad and into grad school, just kind of started growing that interest. And then um, around second semester, or I guess second year of grad school, um, I uh, got linked up with a couple of different uh, interns that work here current or that used to work here. Um, and then they basically said, hey, you know, we have internship opportunities. So I applied, um, sat down with Tori, my, uh, our director of strength and conditioning over here at Tech, and then uh, got offered an internship and just really hasn't looked back since. That's awesome. And, you know, for those who aren't familiar with Texas Tech's culture, it's a, it's a fantastic city right in the middle of West Texas. Um, and when Scott said he's a Red Raider for life, that's the motto that everybody uses. And I can understand why when you go there, you want to stay there for the rest of your life, you know, because if you fit in with the culture and you enjoy it there, you're going to love it. Mm-hmm. We're, we're really, really big on like if you're from West Texas or if you have any ties to West Texas, we want you to come home. I mean, that's truly the way that we look at it. Um, like if you notice, like a lot of the a lot of the successful hires that we've had um, really across any sport, they've had West Texas ties, whether it be, you know, just west of center like anywhere like Abilene, Midland, anything like that. Uh, but generally, everybody's going to have some kind of ties to Lubbock. And so, um, but yeah, that was that was me. Uh, Mom graduated from here. Um, this is really the only school that I applied to coming out of uh, high school. Um, kind of had my pick, graduated pretty high up in my class. Um, really could have gone anywhere, but this is, like I said, the only school that I applied to, the only school I had plans on going to, so... Um, that kind of tells you how we uh, how we look at our university as a family. And I mean, by extension, that's kind of how I operate with the teams that I work with here and the groups that I get to that I get to work with here. Um, everybody's just a family. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's definitely the 
environment I felt when I was there as well. So what, uh, what are your current teams you work with? And then what are some other things with your role currently? All right. So basically I work with men's and women's golf. Um, I'm the head strength and conditioning coach for those two teams. Um, I assist with everything, you know, that's kind of how Olympic sports works. Um, but, uh, my other main responsibility, um, is I head up the intern coordinator position. Um, so basically all of the curriculum that we have our interns go through, I, um, I basically, you know, go through, I create the assignments, I, you know, figure out which assignments are redundant, that kind of a thing. Um, test prep. So whenever we're getting ready for our CSCS or our SCCC, um, we do a lot of, uh, curriculum based around that too, just trying to get people ready to get their certs. Um, and then, um, as of recently, I will be taking a little bit more of a role into our track and field strength and conditioning plan. Um, with track and field, I mean, I think everywhere that has a track program, you got north of at least 60 people. I mean, ours, we carry about a hundred people on our roster. And so really it's one of those jobs that, you know, you could have a head guy who's just like the solo track and strength or track and field strength coach. But um, we try to take a little bit more of a committee approach to that um, just because with those many numbers, it just makes better sense to have a lot of different people in the room other than just the one guy responsible for everybody. And you need a lot of spotters for that group. They get after it now. The, the, the throwers have been yeah. fortunate enough to come in during one of their lifts, and there's some serious weight being pushed. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, even with our girls, like, we're getting up to about 500 pounds on a box squat. And so it's one of those deals where it's like, you know, with heavy weight, you know, you get a lot of gains. But at the same time, if accidents happen, they tend to be more catastrophic the heavier the weight. And so, you know, whenever the Very throwers true. are in there lifting, we try to go squatter, side spot, side spot. I mean, we got a whole crew and it looks like a powerlifting meet, to be honest. Um, but at the same time, it's just that's kind of how we have to do it. You know, it, it's heavy weight. You got to make sure the kids are safe, right? Absolutely. The biggest, the biggest two right there. So, well, take me through, I have a little bit of a cheat sheet here because I know your philosophy and I know what you like to do with your team. So I think the way you implement uh, your programming and your periodization with your golf teams, I think is fantastic. So um, Scott is primarily a a conjugate guy here. Uh, I think he does a, a fantastic, fantastic job with switching it and making it uh, applicable to golf as well. So can you please walk us through, kind of give us the basics of conjugate and then how you like to implement it with your teams? Yeah, so conjugate kind of stems from my background. Um, I did high school powerlifting, um, and that was kind of my introduction into weightlifting outside of football. Um, And so a lot of the material and stuff that I consume is all from like, you know, old school West Side manuals. Uh, I listen to a lot of Dave Tate. Um, I've read a lot of Nate Harvey, um, a lot of those types of guys. And so I have a pretty good understanding of conjugate. Um, And, you know, one of the coaches that I came up underneath, um, one of the suggestions he was giving me whenever I was kind of figuring out how to lay out my program and stuff like that. And he basically the phrase that he used was coach what you know. And I mean, fortunately, I know conjugate like I said, inside, not necessarily inside and out, but I know it to a good enough degree to utilize it. And so it was one of those things where you start to look at what it offers and, you know, given the ability to train both strength and speed simultaneously. And then, you know, you have your volume work, you have all the different buckets that you got to fill and conjugate gives you a method that you can literally train all of those. Um, It's very, very good for whenever you have a team that isn't necessarily, um, 
how can I put it? They're not the most, um, they, they don't necessarily have a long block to do a structured off season. Um, cause golf, they travel in both the fall and the spring. And so we'll have, you know, periods where we can, you know, do like a month long block of just work without having to travel for any tournaments and we'll get some, you know, accumulation there. But for the most part, like my, my goals are to keep them strong and maintain strength throughout their tournament travel. And then also we're trying to make sure that, you know, they have access to all of that strength while they're playing. Um, and so I just found that conjugate fits the best. Um, and for the listeners out there that, you know, have a rough understanding of conjugate as it applies to powerlifting, no, I'm not maxing out every single time with my golfers. Um, and that's a pretty <laughs> common, that's a pretty common misconception as it pertains to conjugate training. Um, I think sometimes people look at it and they'll just automatically think of like Chuck Vogelpool or Dave Tate and like the guys at West side. And it's like, oh yeah, you're banging heads on bars and you're, you know, hitting max effort singles on rotating, you know, max effort days and stuff like that. And it's, that's not how I operate it. Um, I take the concept of max effort and I scale it way back to something that's appropriate for golfers. Um, and even like the things that I look at in terms of like where we're trying to get to relative to like moving weight compared to their body weight. Um, like it's not even that high as to what like my goals are. Um, so if we can get to where we're moving one and a half times our body weight to me, that's very, very appropriate for golf. Um, and it's one of those deals where once we can get there, that's what I think would be strong enough. And we try to maintain those as long as we can throughout the in season. And I mean, I've had success with people actually adding throughout adding weight to whatever movement they were training throughout the duration of both the fall and the spring in season periods. And so um, it's not, you know, monumental increases. It's like, you know, maybe 10 pounds across the entire off season. But if I'm still able to add strength to them um, whenever they're traveling and all that stuff, you know, something's working. And so um, one of the things in uh, uh, some of the Dave Tate material that I've uh, consumed has been like, okay, so if you have a program that's working, and you want to change some of it, change about 25% of it. Don't change the whole entire program. Um, and that way you can, you know, keep for the most part, the things that work, experiment with some of the things that, you know, you think would go better. And if you find something that, you know, still pushes improvement, you add that in, you look at something else to change. Um, so that way you're not starting over fresh every single time, but also at the same time, you're, you know, you're keeping your, um, your main philosophy and your main core program intact. Um, and so, that allows me to keep consistency from year to year to year um, for those guys that have been in my program from freshman all the way up. Um, but also at the same time, it's something that I can use to continue to figure out and find things that work. Because I think at some point, once people get comfortable within their own program, they kind of have a fear of changing things because, you know, that old adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we can't look for, you know, performance increases. Like if you have a car, and your car operates fine. Yeah, that's cool. But if you can add a couple horses to that car to drive it around a little bit more fun, I mean, why not, you know? No, that makes complete sense. I mean, and, and I think that's something that I'm a very big believer in as well, right, is being able to adapt to whatever you need to do um, mm -hmm. and making sure that you still see these performance gains. Because, again, I think it's a funny growth of a strength coach where I think they initially start with 
okay, I'm going to change everything up all the time because I want to just find what works. And then when they find what works, you know, later on in their career, they say, I never want to change, <laughs> you know, yeah. and then they eventually, yeah. the best strength coaches you see, they're willing to adapt. They have their main philosophy like you spoke of, but they're also adapt to what they need for each team. Well, I mean, how many strength coaches have you gotten the chance to work with that are very, very old, like very old head, but they still have found ways to adapt with the technology and stuff that's coming out. Because I mean, there's things available to us nowadays that like just with conversations with my director, like he was saying that we didn't have these, you know, five years ago, you know, much less, you know, we're talking to a dude that's been in the business for like 20 years, you know, the first 10 no, years absolutely. do not look like the second 10 years. And even then the first 15 years don't look like the last five years. So mm -hmm. I feel like in order to keep prominence in this field, like you just have to adapt and you have to look to constantly add things um, but again, it comes with a little bit of a fine line. Like you don't want to completely change yourself and you don't want to change your system, your philosophy too much to where it's like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing now. You know, like you got to keep the majority exactly. of what you do intact and then, you know, make my minor modifications, you know, here and there just to see if there's things that you like. Yep, absolutely. And I think that's the, the biggest piece, right, is being willing to adapt because, like mm -hmm. you said, I feel like in the past five years, VBT has become now the hot topic, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I think 10 years ago, if you had asked anybody about lifting, you know, I think Triphasic obviously was not <laughs> nearly as popular. The system, all these things can constantly adapt. So I think mm -hmm. it's interesting to see, especially like somebody like Tori Stevens, who is a big believer in 531 and Triphasic, you know, how he's adapted as uh, his times come there. So, mm -hmm. okay, well, the reason I ask about conjugate and what I think is so interesting about it is because collectively as strength coaches, I feel like everybody puts conjugate into some sort of a box, you know, mm -hmm. because they know West side versus the world and, uh, and Louis Simmons and everything that they've done, you know, I think they kind of view, view it from a standpoint of, okay, this is only for hardcore lifters. Yeah. And then you take a sport like golf where, you know, that's, they've come a long way from a standpoint of understanding the importance of strength training, but still, you know, it, it's not seen as a heavy lifting, like kind of hang and bang type of sport in the weight room. Um, and so yeah. I, I just appreciate, appreciate your perspective on it because you've taken something that's been put in a box of, you know, this is like the only way that you can ever run conjugate is if you're going crazy maxing out all the time and then you've switched it to a sport um, that can really uh you know utilize this and and have great success with it but you just don't want to uh you know essentially force them to be within that conjugate box if that makes yeah sense. yeah no and that makes perfect sense and i mean to kind of add to that too is like you look at also the success of your team as to how your program applies to it as well. Um, and with the culture that we have, like we got a bunch of dudes that just like to get it and ladies that just like to get it. Like I, mm. I don't think ever since I've taken control, like I don't think that I've ever had to convince anybody to hop underneath a bar or anything like that. Now, I mean, there's definitely times where it would be more appropriate to do like a goblet squat. Let's say if I have a freshman that doesn't really have any experience with a barbell of course we're going to do our progressions up to and we're going to make sure that we don't put them in any unsafe situations but at the same time like whenever you look at conjugate you look at it from the standpoint of just the stimulus that you're going to put the athlete under and you look at it solely from that concept you can really fit any exercise in and so Let's say that, you know, I have a freshman golfer 
who she doesn't necessarily have the background with barbell work or anything like that. I can still do somewhat of a conjugate based system like max effort work or what I call a heavy day um, with a goblet squat. Um, It's something that she can master. It's something that, you know, it's not going, if she can't, you know, get the weight, she can just let go. It's not something that's going to just continue to push her down and crush her. Um, but at the same time, the stimulus is there like a max effort or like a heavy three or a heavy five on a goblet squat will feel just as strainful as that as somebody that's used to back squatting, trying to go for a heavy three or five on a back squat. So that's kind of how I utilize it to fit within the experience level of golfers. Cause like, I mean, dealing with college golfers, you know, you're not necessarily dealing with people who grew up in a weight room. And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of how I look at it. And it's a way that I can implement my system yet still keep them safe. Um, And then, like I said, look at the success levels of the programs and that's going to tell you whether or not what you're doing is working. Um, Even though you might not be, you know, looking at it from the standpoint of like, Oh, are they gaining? Are they, you know, losing strength, this, that, and the other to me, the end all be all is performance out on whatever playing field that they have. So for my golfers, you know, our men's team did very well. Our women's team, they made the national championship tournament for the first time in a while. Um, and their, their progress has continued to go up. And so with the success of the programs that we've had, it, you know, lets me know that kind of what I'm doing is a little bit more validated. Um, and like I said, there are still things that, you know, you can improve upon. There's always going to be things that you can try to better yourself. And that's where that 25% rule comes into play is, you know, if there's a handful of things that, you know, some of the girls say, Hey, you know, can we add a little bit of this? I feel like I'm getting tired around, you know, like the last, you know, nine holes of like a, you know, 50 some odd hole tournament or whatever, you know, we can add a little bit of conditioning at the end, this, that, and the other. So, um, that's, that's going to be one of those things that, you know, you can look at to see if your program's working, obviously strength gains and stuff will give you information about that. But, um, just because, you know, things have a label doesn't necessarily mean, or they have like a preconceived notion doesn't mean that you can't manipulate it and still operate within that same set of rules. Absolutely. And I think a big piece of what you just said too, is allowing them to work on things that they feel like they need to work on. Right. And that's my, mm-hmm. my big recruiting speech that I give to all athletes who come in and, and prospective athletes who hopefully we come here. My biggest thing is, you know, I, I don't really care, especially with basketball. I'm not going to focus on getting you to a 500 pound squat. My biggest thing is I want you to go yeah. on the court and I want you to feel confident. So that communication is so key between the coach and the athlete. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'd say another thing that I do, and this will kind of vibe well with you. Um, but basically like I give a lot of autonomy within my lift too. So, and this kind of tickles your self-determination theory mindset. Um, but but basically, basically, um, whenever I go to program, um, I have my, you know, my big lifts, the core movements that we always do your squats, your deadlifts, your presses and stuff like that. But I give them autonomy in the way that if they would prefer to front squat, I let them front squat. If they prefer to back squat, I let them back squat. If they want a sumo, if they want a conventional, if they want a trap bar, I really don't care because I look at the movement as a movement. So a squat is a squat, a hinge is a hinge, um, a press is a press, a pull is a pull. So I give them options to operate within those rule sets. Um, And then we get really crazy once we get to the accessories. Because then I just tell them, hey, hit a buy, hit a try, hit a delt, 
Um, he, you know, and I give them early on, we do a lot of education in the sense of I give them several options of different biceps to work. I give them several options of different triceps to work, different single leg squat variations, whether it's a split squat, split squat, front foot elevated, rear foot elevated. You know, we do Cossacks, we do sliding lateral lunges. Um, and so basically aside from like, Hey, we're doing a lateral lunge variation. Like I'll give them that type of a cue, but like, other than that, I'll let them pick what they're comfortable with. Um, what I found is that gives me a lot of buy-in first. Second of all, I don't have to spend as much time coaching in the sense of, I know we're coaches and that's what we're supposed to do. But if I got to keep eyes on everybody in the room, I would much rather person a go over there and do something that they already know how to do with a high level of success. Um, as opposed to go over there coaching every minute aspect of an accessory movement while I'm ignoring half the team over here doing, you know, something else and they're butchering it just as much. And so if I have somebody doing like a rear foot elevated squat and I already know that they know how to do that and it looks good, then I'll let them do that. And I'll be over here showing somebody how to do a new variation of a front foot elevated split squat. Now I understand if you look at the minutia, yeah, they do different things, but in the grand scheme of things, they're all hitting relatively the same thing. And so with that, like I said, I get that buy-in. I don't have people bickering me with like, oh, I don't want to do this movement. It's okay. And I, I'm get, literally giving you a choice to do the movement that you would prefer to do. And so I usually don't Let's get do any <laughs> arguments over that. I usually don't get any bite back. Um, and again, I, I just think that it gets people to trust you a little bit more too. Um, and I'm sure you can go into pretty explicit detail as, a, as to how that works. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, that's something that I think most people in our field kind of understand the more autonomy you give. Cause I mean, I, I mentioned them in the light of like, I, I said kids earlier in this uh, podcast, but Really, they're adults. Like, you know, we're dealing with 18 to 22. They're adults with not as much life experience as you and I might have. But at the end of the day, they still want the respect of, hey, I'm an adult. And so I'm going to talk to them like an adult. I'm going to give them options like what you would an adult. And everybody, you know, respects each other. It, it, it just works out that way. Absolutely. I think that, like you said, the buy-in piece is the biggest, right? Because I, mm -hmm. I've seen, I found myself where you know, with certain athletes, they, they can't do a movement like a dumbbell single leg RDL, right? Like a, yeah. a freestanding single leg RDL. Um, like, and they just cannot get this down. And so I'm like, you mean, right, you mean like, stiff leg? Stiff leg. All right. My, all right. All right. <laughs> we can get into semantics here if you'd like to, but regardless. All right. Uh, when they do, when they do it, I see they can't get this movement down no matter how many different cues and how much time we spend coaching them. Like, am I really for, like, what's the point behind me forcing them to do this versus if we can just put them on a landmine or we can do something more like a kickstand RDO, like almost the exact same stimulus, but it's now there's not this constant fighting and constant, uh, like mm -hmm. you said, bite back from the athletes and enforce them to do something that, you know, is ultimately not going to be beneficial to the overall goal. Mm -hmm. I have a colleague of mine. He always says it all the time. Um, give them opportunities for success. Um, he spent about four years at the high school, three, three to four years at the high school level um, before getting back into college. Um, and he, he has said the best thing that he's ever done was he looks at it from the mindset of just give the athletes the most opportunity for success and then they will succeed. And so if they're just struggling with a specific movement and you know, another movement that will get just about the same thing done, don't be so prideful and say, no, we're going to get this movement. 
go ahead and switch, throw in a different movement. And who knows, whenever they master that movement that you regress or whatever, and you've given that new movement to them, if they all of a sudden get better at that, hey, there's a lot of carryover from movements that are similar. And so like, who knows, they might do a landmine stiff leg, and that just might be the thing that they need to in order to go do a single arm dumbbell stiff leg, you know, that's just one of those things that don't don't let your pride get in the way of you know, oh, you have to do what I say, you know, like, if, if, if you can find a simpler way to do it, do it, you're going to thank yourself, your athletes are going to thank you, everybody's going to thank you. People back at home are going to thank you because you won't be so miserable from being angry at work all the time. You know, it just works better. <laughs> Absolutely. Saves a lot of headaches, almost yes. in every direction. So. Yes, most definitely. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. So you did mention that you're the intern coordinator for Texas Tech as well. And mm-hmm. so I, I think that's such a valuable role, right? And I mean, I think we can all agree. And I don't think this is a, a new idea, but mentors are obviously a massive piece of this field. And yes. so what are the things that you view as the most important to teach interns now, especially in the day and age of social media, where, you know, there's so many different things and so many roads they can go down. It's like almost this paralysis by analysis situation. What are the things that you find to be key? Um, honestly, the first thing that if I could like reach out and like say one thing for every single intern that could take something home from this, it is establish a BS meter. Okay. So like, and that's, and that's going to save you in a lot of different realms. So, um, the biggest problem that I'd say I see across interns coming in is, and I mean, it all has to deal with the problems that everybody's going to say is wrong with society today. And it's all has to deal with social media and all that stuff. Um, so basically interns finding stuff that they see on Instagram or they find a YouTube video of something and they're just immediately wanting to apply it without the context or without vetting the source or, you know, there's, there's so many charlatans on Instagram that are trying to sell something in the fitness area that it, it just straight up doesn't work. I mean, you can go across and talk to any strength coach at any conference that you'll go to and like everybody's going to have the same somewhat story of that argument of like all oh, these you know intern finsta models that kind of thing is it, they're, they're just ruining our field you know and <laughs> and it, it's very unfortunate because the beauty of social media and the beauty of the ability to have access to information almost instantaneously it, it often gets spoiled because of just the volume of information. And anytime you have a volume of information, there's going to be a large proportion of it that's going to be misinformation or just bad stuff. And so that's the first thing that I try to get across to the interns that I work with is like, hey, don't believe everything that you see online. Um, and I mean, their parents probably tell them all that, that all the time as well, but more specifically as it pertains to strength and conditioning, just because you have letters does not mean that, you know, those letters mean a whole lot. And it does not mean that you're putting out quality content. You know, you got to go to the vetted people, the people that, you know, I always, you know, there's always that adage in the music industry, what's your rapper's favorite rapper? Like what's your coach's (laughs) favorite coach? Like go, go. go to your, go to all your coaches ask them, Hey, who do you listen to? Or like, what are, what are some names that you follow? And if you ask enough coaches, there's going to be two or three names that just constantly get brought up. Like I mentioned Dave Tate, 
I mentioned Nate Harvey. All of these are guys that my mentor has listened to. All of these are guys that I know my colleagues listen to. And so it's one of those things that if you if your name keeps on getting brought up by respectable people, that means that you're probably giving out information that's going to be worthwhile. If you bring a name up to somebody that's been in the in the industry for a while and they're like, I've never heard of them, you might need to give it two or three seconds before you start to, you know, live, breathe and eat everything that they're putting out, you know, so that's that's the first thing that I try to get them to understand. Um, and the second thing is just, I mean, we all understand the benefit of a good work ethic, um, but not just a good work ethic, but an efficient work ethic. Um, and without, because I know we'll go on a rabbit hole about this, but without going too far into jujitsu, that's like one of the things that I've learned was that you can sit there and you can work your tail off and you can grind and grind and grind. But if you're not working efficiently, A, you're just going to get burnt out and tired really quick. But mm -hmm. B, you're really just going to be a duck on water, spinning, 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 not really going anywhere. And so have that good work ethic, but put a little bit of thought behind the work that you're doing so it's efficient and you're actually getting stuff accomplished other than just grinding for grind's sake. And I would say that kind of, not necessarily pertains just to interns, but I think that pertains to a lot of the people in our field as well. I think it's very, very glorified um, to, you know, work and sacrifice all of this time. And yeah, we end up doing it anyways, just because that's what we do as support staff. But at the end of the day, working 80 hours a week shouldn't be glorified whenever, you know, you're not spending time at home with your family or you're not spending time at home with the people that you really care about, like your doggos or anything like that. So it's like one of those things that I try to get across to interns as well um, is to, you know, I, I appreciate a good work ethic, but do something with the work that you're putting out, you know, mm. like if you're cleaning, don't just sit there and clean the same thing over and over. Okay. Like, go clean everything, you know, um, if you're coaching, don't just hang out by one rack, get eyes on multiple different types of squats, you know, go help out, you know, the volleyball player and go help out the baseball player. Cause that's, that's going to help you not only develop that efficiency and learning, you know, how to move around and keep eyes on several different people, but that's actually going to give you a little bit more information as to how different types of bodies move as well. And so, um, that, uh, those two are kind of big ones. Other than that, um, you know, I try to, I try to let them just like what I would with my golf teams. I like to try to let them guide their own journey. Um, because I, I mean, I know you've had an intern coordinator spot before at, uh, one of your previous schools, um, interns come in with different levels of experience. You know, we have, um, like probably six different interns that we work with and they've all legitimately have different unique experiences. We have one that's a competitive strongman, And then we have one that has, you know, high school coaching experience. We have an intern that is currently an undergrad, but spent four or five years in the Marine Corps prior to starting college. And so, you know, somebody that has that strongman experience, they might not have um, experience working with collegiate athletes or like leading groups of people, but they know programming inside and out. Whereas um, the intern that we have that was a former Marine, I mean, if we're talking about our most developed like leader, like he's 
ages beyond any of the interns that we have whenever you're talking about like leading groups of people. Um, but he's still currently learning all of like the energy systems and like the biological sciences and stuff that you need to know um, because he's just now getting back into school. Um, and so because of that, it would make a little, or it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for me to cookie cutter approach how I prepare these interns for their jobs. Um, I need to spend more time, you know, teaching programming and energy systems to the Marine, as opposed to, you know, the person that already has a good understanding of that. I need to spend more time with that person working on leadership skills. And so, um, other than those two first things like the BS meter and learning how to work hard and efficiently, I try to let them and guide them into their own journey into like what's going to make them a better coach. Because like I said, everybody starts off with a different toolkit. Um, I mean, even if you look at you and I, like whenever you first came to tech and we got partnered up, um, you had a completely different skill set than what I had. Um, and together we worked and came to and brought, you know, a whole holistic look at, you know, our program design. Um, but it was only because of the fact that you took what you knew, I took what I knew, we set, you know, pride aside, and we let each other cook in our own realms. Um, and so I try to do that with our interns as much as possible. And we've had a lot of success um, within the past couple of years of putting out quality interns. Um, I think most of the people that at least whenever I've, you know, started doing a lot of the intern stuff, they haven't had any issues finding full-time jobs, whether it's at the, you know, high school level, um, or even, you know, coming up, we're starting to get people some, you know, GA looks at other schools and stuff like that. And so, um, it's just one of those things and, you know, coming up from the intern program, again, this is being at tech the entire time that I've been here. Um, I came up through the same intern program. So, um, that was another thing that helped me get into this role is, um, being recently in and coming through our intern program, there's a lot of things that I wanted to change um, that I wish could have been better whenever I was coming up. And then there's some things that I think that worked very, very well that we kind of strayed from before I got put into that spot that, you know, I said, hey, I think we need to kind of bring this back. Um, and so that was kind of one of the reasons why I got put into that position because of the success that I had through the intern program. And um, the things that, you know, I thought could be changed and could be worked better. Um, thankfully, my, uh, my director, you know, kind of agreed with along the same lines. And um, that's, you know, how I got to where I'm at now, um, at least with it pertains to the intern stuff. Yeah. And, it, you know, I think that's so it's just so massive what you said about actually tailoring it to each person's specific needs. You know, mm -hmm. that's uh, I know it sounds simple and it sounds like, well, obviously, that's what you want to do. But at the end of the day, it doesn't get done a lot with a lot of internship programs because there's mm -hmm. certain levels to it. You know, like I remember I, I got some good advice. It was when you go to your intern program, you're also kind of interviewing them. Like you want to make yeah. sure that all this time that you're spending with them is really going to be valuable. And it's going to get you somewhere that you want to be because, you know, unfortunately there's still our programs that treat interns as just basic free help, you know, yeah. and there's a little level of education to it, but there's also mm -hmm. programs where they say, well, we do have a really good intern uh, program and, and, you know, we look at our education, look at our manual that we have. Right. But then it is mm. more of a stiff manual, you know, yeah. and it's less of a kind of, uh, concurrent learning or, uh, allowing the, uh, the interns to basically 
understand what where are some areas I need to grow in and let me focus my time on those, right? Because mm. again, if you if you focus on leadership with the person who formerly served in the military, you know, I think he's gotten a, a good enough yeah. amount of lessons on leadership. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you I mean, may at, be stepping in what his expertise is. See, I was about to say at, at some there's sometimes where I feel like I'll I'll, you know, say, hey, let's, you know, do this this way and he'll come in. He's very respectful about it too. It's not like, you know, he's still back in the core. Um, but like, there's a lot of times where he'll, you know, make a suggestion or two as to like how to run things and make things a little bit more efficient as it pertains to like getting group work done amongst the interns, like cleaning duties, assigning people to work with different teams. And, you know, he'll pop in with like a suggestion and it's like, that makes way more sense than what I was trying to do. So, you know, let's, let's do it that way, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's also what kind of gives me a little bit of success with the intern program is, um, and it kind of goes into that whole ownership, self-determination theory stuff, but like legitimately, if it comes down to like their suggestion and it's a good enough suggestion, it's not going to be my way or the highway. Um, because I, I know a good idea when I see one and if it's a better idea than what I have, like we need to do that. Like I'm not, I'm yeah. not going to sit there and just, you know, make us run into a wall whenever there's a door right there, you know? Oh, no, absolutely. And I think that was Although I do, my time. Go ahead. I was about to say, I do think we could get the wall knocked down if we, you know, put oh, yeah. enough effort into it. But <laughs> the door is more efficient. The door is way more efficient. Door is way more efficient. Probably better on the body, too. So, oh, yeah. uh, but I think, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about working with you is I, I felt like your strength was programming. My strength was more the culture side and the psychology side of coaching. And so mm-hmm. for us to be able to work together, and you really helped me with my programming. But I also, you know, I had the title of the head strength coach and you were the assistant. And so yeah. in that time, like it, while you had more experience with programming, you know, still, I still kind of had this little bit of ego where like, you know, you'd bring something up and I'd be like, yeah, it's all right. You know, like, and it's actually fantastic, <laughs> you know? And so but I then appreciate at, that about working I was about to say at the end of the day, at the end of the day there too, like what would happen about six weeks later, it's like, oh, I recognize that rep scheme or I recognize that exercise yep. progression. And like, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, and that, that's like what worked with us is like, you know, you would have your moment of like, I don't, I don't know about this, but then, you know, even you would be like, okay, let's give this a look. See. And I, there's a lot of times where I was wrong. Right. Like there were some times where like we would try something. It's like, oh, that's a little bit too much, you know? And so we'd back off. But at the same time, the fact that you were still able to be like, okay, I hear you. Let's, let's implement this. Um, and if it worked, it worked. If it didn't, it didn't. But your ability to kind of put the pride aside of, oh, I'm the head strength coach. It's my way. It made things work for what we had. And I mean, whenever we got started, it wasn't necessarily the easiest, easiest of times because uh, we got like, I think the first time that I worked with you uh, or the first time that I met you, we were standing in line to get our brains scanned by yep. the nasal swabs. <laughs> and uh, this was like our first uh, restart right after COVID. Um, and that was like, I mean, you could talk to any strength and conditioning coach that you have on this podcast and there's going to be some kind of unique story about COVID and the restart and everything. So I'm not going to spend time talking about that, but I mean, we got, we got going and we met each other under some pretty crazy circumstances. And so under crazy circumstances, people get a lot more neurotic about the way that they do things. And so like, you could have been completely been like, no, no, we're going to do my way. We're going to do my way. But you know, you were very open to suggestion. Um, I was very, you know, 
I tried to offer as much help as what I could, but also I tried my best not to step on any toes because, you know, the assistant spot, you're there to help, but also at the end of the day, you were the head strength coach. And so I might've given a suggestion and I might've been very passionate about said suggestion, but at the end of the day, what you wanted was what we ended up doing. And so I think that that kind of gets lost. And I'd say that's another thing that I try to help out and ingrain in our interns is, we want you to be able to give ideas because that's how you develop creativity and programming. Like if you have an idea of how something works, all right, let's see if it works or not. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, we'll go back to what we do. Um, but I don't want them to ever feel like their suggestions are worthless. Um, mm. And, you know, our coaching staff, at least within the um, Olympic side, like we're very, very, like if we have an intern that has a suggestion for something, we try our best to be like, okay, let's see if this will implement. And um, there's very frequent times where that actually is the case. Like we'll have, you know, an intern suggest something that, you know, Katie Munger, our associate director, she'll pick up and actually start using with our groups. And it's, she, she mm -hmm. just much like you, you know, if you have a suggestion and it's a better suggestion than what she has, she's very, very open to using it. So. Absolutely. And, and that's a big piece to it as well is, is letting them fail too, you know, yeah. because I, yeah. I feel like sometimes I try to be like too overprotective, you know, because there's, I, I, how I like to do it is I have one intern that works directly with me and it's just me and him the whole time. So I, I try to take this approach where it's like, okay, I, I made that mistake in the past. You don't make this. I'm telling you right now. So you don't have to make that mistake. And then yes. they never end up like really learning the lesson because there's not that yes. emotional attachment to it. There's not that, Oh, you know, like hitting your head, like stupid, stupid, you know, like yeah. there's, yep, yep. It, 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 you have to allow them to fail mm -hmm. and you have to allow them to fail. And you honestly have to allow them to get chewed out too. Like that's another <laughs> thing too, is sometimes you look at your interns as like your, your kids. And again, I don't like using the term kids frequently, so don't get that misinterpretation, but like you look at them like they're your own. Right. And so mm. you don't, you, you want them to be able to develop and you don't want them to get yelled at. But I mean, I can't tell you how many times I got yelled at from various strength coaches coming up through my internship that made me a better strength coach. I know I've sat in the office with you listening to story after story from your mentors because, I mean, you had a lot more of a rough upbringing because you kind of cut, you cut your teeth in a football weight room. And yep. that, and that, like, I haven't been, I haven't spent time in a football weight room, but that was like one of those things that, like, some of the stories that you told me, I was like, golly, they yelled at you for what? Mm, yep. And so that was, that's like one of those deals where, yeah, I, I don't want them to be, you know, degraded or anything like that, but they need to get chewed out from time to time because there's going to be times where your head coach, your sport coach is going to not like an idea that you had your athletes do. And you're going to have to, you know, you know, sit there and eat a little bit of crow and sit there and get your ear full and, you know, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, kind of a thing. And like and that takes character and you can't develop that without having a little bit of that throughout your you know upbringing and so i want them to experience that but again it all comes down to giving them opportunities for success and the more they succeed the less that happens but like i said there's still going to be times where they mess up and they still need to get a little bit of that as well you know oh absolutely you know like we I have this one intern I'm working with right now. He's fantastic at every single thing, right? But the first couple of weeks that he showed up, I'd be like, okay, we're showing up. We're here at 830. 
you know? Yeah. And I was like, and that, like, my only rule is like, I, I don't care if you're five minutes early, 10 minutes early, whatever. I'll be here five minutes before the time we, I say, you know, but mm-hmm. you just cannot walk through the doors at 830 exactly, you know? And then yeah. the first time it was like, oh, I'm here. I'm just in the bathroom. you know and then the next time i was walking in at 8 30 exactly you know and everything so we had certain multiple conversations about that you know but i agree with you a little bit because you are going to get those conversations with your head coaches as well too right and so i think it's better to have it with an intern coordinator who somebody who's been there many times and has been in your exact shoes because i've showed up late as an intern before as well you know Mm, and then understanding and getting rid of those exactly getting rid of those habits early uh so that when it is time your time to shine it is time for you to be the head strength coach you know you really are developed so i agree that's a big big piece of the overall development so Mm -hmm. well I think that kind of leads into the last thing that I wanted to talk to you about a little bit, you know, was just, I think if you could define our relationship, it'd be almost the anti-strength coach, strength coach club. (laughs) You know, (laughs) we love love a lot of strength and conditioning, but there's a lot that kind of, you know, bothers us a little bit too. And so in certain realms and, and I think the way you operate and the thing in both of our coaching styles is to be a little bit less serious, right. Uh, make mm-hmm. it more of an inviting uh, environment for the athletes to come into. And then I feel like we've seen, you know, really good success with our athletes. Could you just speak yes. to that a little bit? Like what are some things that you intentionally do to make sure that you are more of an inviting coach to work with and uh, things that you do to make sure it's a, be- a little bit more of a better environment? Um. Okay. So this might not be a popular opinion amongst the rest of the, uh, big wigs and strength and conditioning. Um, I let them have the ox. Um, that's, that's one of the things that now not full control because some mm-hmm. of them do have questionable taste in music and I have the best taste in music out of everybody that I've ever met. So, <laughs> Obviously, yep. um, but no, so like I, I will go around and ask, you know, Hey, what do you want to listen to today? Um, it, it's a very simple thing. And I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people do that. Um, but just like the small option of like, Hey, if I have, you know, a Latin American player and they're wanting to listen to Latin American music, we'll listen to it. Or like I have a lot of um, Scandinavian uh, golfers on my uh, teams and it's one of those where we'll listen to a lot of like Swedish House Mafia and, you know, like a lot of Avicii and stuff like that because that's what they would prefer to listen to. Um, every now and then I do get a little selfish and I'll play my Metallica and my, you know, Slayer and stuff like that. But at the same time, um, if they're not going to enjoy themselves while they're in there, then that's something that I'm failing, you know? Um, and this, I think can be applied to all sports is every single minute of every single day, they're having to take themselves seriously. Um, more specifically on their own practice field, the weight room is something I want them to take themselves seriously, but it's something that really doesn't pertain to their sport. Um, and I guess you can say everything, every sport, maybe minus football, um, I'd say throwers too, like on track and field, the throwers, but like everything it's the weightlifting part of things is truly just complimentary to like what their game is. It's not like, Oh, their game depends on that. Like I could have my golfers not come in for an entire two months and they're still going to shoot relatively the same. Right. And so that kind of lets me know how important my role is in the grand scheme of things. Now I am important, but it's not like life and death, whether or not they, you know, have the perfect program in the weight room, you know? And so understanding that I try to make the weight room a little bit of a separation as to like what their golf practice is or whatever practice they're having. Like we joke around, we cut up, I talk about their life every now and then we'll talk about rounds and it's like, Hey, how'd you play this, that, and the other. But 
they hear enough of that with their coaches and stuff. And like, we'll talk more about like, you know, fantasy football or like, we'll talk about, you know, dating, that kind of stuff, because that is something that they don't get a lot of interaction with, with other coaches. And we're in a very, very unique area to where we can have those types of conversations. We can kind of break the monotony of, okay, every conversation I have is golf, 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 golf. No, you don't have to have that conversation with me. Like, what'd you eat the other night? Uh, I saw you on Instagram. You were out at the, you know, the clubs and stuff, you know, was it a good time? Did you stay safe? That kind of a thing. And so, you know, those types of conversations, it, it allows them to be a little bit more unguarded. They have a little bit better of a time and you get to see a little bit more personality from them as well outside of like what they're usually like around their head coaches and everything like that. And I think that's vitally important for our uh, profession. Um, and it's a very, very unique position that we're in as strength coaches. Uh, and I think that if you're not using that type of a relationship to have those conversations and to foster that type of an environment, I think you're doing yourself a great disservice. I, you know, I certainly agree. It's, it's a great reprieve for the athletes, right. For them to come in and, and actually have something. Okay. Where this is still related to my sport. I'm still getting better. Right. But it's not, you know, this, like you said, this constant conversation about golf, constant conversation about basketball as well. And at the same time too, from a relationship development standpoint, you know, if you balance it well, when it's time to turn it on, the athletes will turn it on as well. It's not oh, yeah. like all of a sudden we're in this situation where, no, they think the weight room is something that's just going to be easy all the time. It's, oh, yeah. No, it, it, it can be balanced very well. Back on the competition aspect, yeah, like it just – as soon as you start to make things competitive, you're just immediately reminded that they're athletes, they're competitive, and that's kind of how they how they do things. And so um, – you can still you can still kind of drive intent through that, but also at the same time, like have fun with them, have fun with them. They, they, you're going you're going to you're going to thank yourself seven times over, like whenever you have a good relationship with them and they're not dreading coming in because all you make them do is grind, 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 grind. You know, so. No, I think that's that's so key, and it, it's also key for you to enjoy your career as well right for you to appreciate coming in every day it's when other people are having fun around you and they're not miserable kind of usually the energy is infectious that makes you feel good so excellent awesome well scott thank you so much for coming on the episode today we really appreciate it i thought it was a great conversation i've been ranging all the way from conjugate to anti-strength coach strength coach club so thank you very much for coming on we really appreciate it i'd love to do it again um just one thing before you go uh when are we going to get a roll again Oh, come on now. You already know. As next time I'm, I'm in Texas, we're going straight after it, all right? Oh, yeah. We'll <laughs> see who jumps on the back first. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be me. All right. Thank you very much, Scott. Love you, man. you, man. Love you, too. Love you too. All right. Bye.